entered a world of pain, suffering, and misery. Welcome to Fear and Loathing on the Turntable. I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and for the next 38 to 69 minutes, we'll be asking this sad, carbon-based, sentient life form about some songs that they think are shitty. And tonight, I have with me... Rob Paravonian. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing all right. How are you? So I'm doing good, you know? Excellent. Doing a podcast here. I like to, it. Trying to avoid the, uh, the, uh, the, uh sonic intrusion of Brooklyn behind us. <laughs> yeah, but, I hope that argument works out. We were listening to an argument moments ago. <laughs> I'm sure someone's dead. <laughs> where are you from? Uh, where, where'd you grow up and uh, what was going on uh, in the house musically? I was born and raised in Waukegan, Illinois, which is a industrial city uh, on Lake Michigan, pretty much the halfway b- point between Chicago and Milwaukee and uh-huh. uh, in the Illinois part of that. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm the youngest of three. I have two older sisters, seven and four years older than me, and okay. uh, they both uh, did music in school growing up. Uh, my mom... They both play. Yeah, they. Uh, my oldest sister played oboe and flute. Uh, oh. She actually had a music minor scholarship to Eastern Illinois University. My middle sister was a singer. She was like starred in some of the you know musicals in high school, uh-huh. and she was a singer in Vegas for a bunch of years. And uh, and uh, my mom studied voice. She had a really good strong operatic voice. And my dad uh, had a theater degree. He was an English teacher. You know, most that was his day job. But uh-huh. He loved theater, and he, you know, it was a very loud musical house growing up. Nice. I guess is my point. <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't realize that there was so much music in your house. Yeah, uh, yeah. By the time I came around and I started playing the cello, I was like the quietest one. <laughs> so that was your first instrument, the cello. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I did cello before piano lessons. I'm pretty sure. I think because I started at first or second grade through the string program in the uh-huh. schools. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I started out on the cello. They had this, you know, the Suzuki method. Have you heard of that? It's like a training method style. It's basically a lot of ear training. So they teach you to play by ear and then read music instead of reading music first and then uh, playing. I think I, I think I did the same method without knowing what it was called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they had, uh, so I, yeah, started out on the cello and I played cello all through grade school, high school. Um, but around 13 years old, around eighth grade. I bought a bass guitar and started playing in bands, so my cello skills started to atrophy right around 13. Uh-huh. That was my cello <laughs> peak. I sat first chair in the grade school orchestra, and uh, and I started playing in bands and stuff, and uh, now I play, I, I do mostly solo stuff and play guitar to accompany myself. Right, as a professional comedian. Comedic musician, yeah, musical comedian, whatever, yeah. Nice. I, I've never, I still haven't come up with a good name for it. It, it, it is what it is. Yeah. It's what you do. But what's your, I mean, like, what were you, what was on in the house when you were growing up? Like, what were your parents listening to? What were your siblings listening? Because, right, you had older sisters, so they were buying records before you. Yes. Yeah. So my oldest sister, like, she was seven years older than me. So there's a bit of a generation, you know, which was a bigger difference when you're kids, you know. So that's, you know, a bigger generational difference. So she liked late 70s, early 80s stuff. She was a huge Journey fan. Nice. And and my middle sister... um, was mostly like she wasn't a musical theater you know, like she wasn't one of those like musical theater nerds but she knew a lot of that because she did a lot of musical theater and my mom knew a lot of like I didn't realize how many musical theater songs I knew just from people singing them in the house like, like either my mom or my sisters or right. working on different 
different musicals for the community players and for high school and stuff. Right, it wasn't just records, it was people performing. Yeah, and uh, you know, we had a piano in the basement. Both my older sisters took piano lessons and I eventually did for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And my oldest sister, whenever she was going through anything super teen angsty, she would go down to the basement and just bang out a song on the piano and sing really loud. So I have these very specific memories of the song Bridge Over Troubled Water. And it was, <laughs> it was whenever she was having like a bad high school girl day like she would uh -huh. go down and bang that on the piano we had stacks of sheet music and stuff so like there were lots of songs being played along uh-huh but yeah so it was when like you like a bridge up some trauma somebody right. broke up with somebody oh shit she, <laughs> she got dumped again damn it <laughs> yeah so i still when i hear that song i was like i it's no it's not right i need to hear this on a piano an upright piano from the basement <laughs> right your sister uh, woefully uh, yes uh, it needs more teenage angst. You wouldn't think of that as a teenage angst song, but <laughs> I still want letters in my number, like, you know, Ontario 74362. Yeah, uh, this neighborhood, uh, it was 74, so it was SH for Shore Road. Oh, really? SH5. <laughs> nice. 5122. That was my, my first phone number. <laughs> um, all right, so I think we're ready to listen to some, some bad music. So we're going to start with uh, with uh, some classic rock here. Oh, man. So what are we firing up first? A little Van Morrison. Uh, Brown-eyed girl. Oh, my gosh. You're the second guest to uh, bemoan this song. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. See, on a normal day, this is when the radio station gets changed already. But Right, right. And so, it's, like, I hate the song, but I don't think it's a bad song. I just... No, it's not a bad I just don't ever want, need to hear it again in my life. Ever. So this is a... You've just heard it too many damn times. Yeah, and it's a combination between how many times you hear it and also how excited people get every time they hear it. I'm like, how can you be this excited to hear this song that you... Like, it should be... Your, the excitement should wane each subsequent time right, you hear right. it. Where's, you know? where's your diminishing return? How right. dare you? <laughs> like, some sort of inverse square, you know, level of excitement. And then also... I think with this song, it's it doesn't. If I go through a period where I don't hear it for a long time, that my excitement to hear it doesn't rebuild. You know, it's like right. there, there was a, a finite limit, finite number of times I could hear it in my life. I think before the cutoff, and there's right. There's this concept, or there's this thing called bird lung. Like if you have a pet bird, and like after if you have it for so long, your lungs just get fucked up eventually, and then what? <laughs> this happened to my friend's mom. And, really? Uh, they had a pet bird, and after like 20 years, all of a sudden her lungs got so bad that she had to get rid of the bird, and she oh, can never have, have another bird. Does it have to do with the droppings and being? Oh, uh, the dander or something. Oh, okay. And uh, so I think I've just reached whatever lifetime threshold. There's like a lifetime limit of how many times I could have heard this song and I, I reached it a long time ago. Yeah. And this I, part here, like people just, you hear it at a bar and girls just scream along to it and it just... Right. That, Off key, out of time. Yeah, yeah. that adds to my uh, loathing of it. There are times where I'm playing a song, you know, in my act and people, all right, I gotta, I gotta tap out okay. of that. Yeah, sorry. You've had enough. Yeah. All right. There are times when, uh, <laughs> in my act, when I'm like, if I'm playing a song and people start to clap in the audience, and that, you know, I, I get, ex I'm, I understand that they're enthusiastic and they want to participate, but the musician in me wants, just wants me to tell them to please stop that because like people inevitably speed up, or some right. people like are just, you know, and it's they just don't have rhythm. Yeah, right. It can be bad. Although one time in Nashville, that would actually be really funny if you just stopped and went, 
don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stop you right please, there. Please, please. <laughs> but one time, though, I, I, this was years ago, I did a show in, at a comedy club in Nashville. You know, it's a music town. And so I was playing a song, and the audience, and I didn't even think anything of it until afterwards, a waitress came up to me, and she said, I'm amazed that the audience, without prompting, in Nashville, started clapping on the two and the four instead of the one and the three. Because <laughs> they actually clapped with a little more R&B rhythm than right, country right. rhythm, you know? And I'm like, right. oh, you know, and but she... They were, they were hitting the snare hits for you. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. She, knowing the Nashville audience, was surprised by this. I didn't think much of it, but uh-huh. like, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I, maybe I projected so much soul on stage. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You exuded two and four. But yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the brown eyed girl. It's just I heard it too many times. People are too excited to hear it, and I, you know, I could not hear it for twenty years, and I still will be as annoyed the next time I hear it. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. like like I said, there's some sort of lifetime limit that I reached with it. All right, moving along. I, I feel him. I feel what he's you know going through. We got a uh, little soul asylum coming up here. Yeah. What's that about? Well, I remember when this song came out, I was living in Chicago and I heard it on the radio and I didn't like it. I didn't like the guy's voice. I thought it was a lot, I thought it was uh, there were a lot of clichés. Oh, oh, is this the one? I mean, we'll hear it in a second, but this might be the one where I I think he blatantly ripped off another melody for I, part I, of the song. I don't know off the top of my head but when we list cuz I haven't I probably haven't heard it in 15 years or more. Uh-huh. Okay. But so you're yeah, in for so a treat. I I remember hearing it on the radio and just like, ah, oh, this is a you know, the, the lyrics are pretty cliché, musically it's not great. The guy's not a strong vocalist. Uh-huh. And but the video was really powerful. And so people really liked the song because the video was about, you know, kids being abducted or runaways, you know, they're they're actually runaways and there's all the parents. It's like everything's in slow motion, people are crying and stuff. So when I first started telling people, "Oh, I hate this song." They thought I was heartless because they thought I hated this video. But I think it was a great example of what happens when you have a really good video for a pretty mediocre song. Right. When 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 the imagery uh, overshadows the the harmony and melody. Yeah, like I think people transposed or whatever the correct word is the emotion the emotional impact of the video to the song. So when they hear the thong, right. the song, they think. But I don't think the song earns any of it. <laughs> right. Well, we're gonna hear it without uh, yeah. without visual stimulation. Yeah. So. so people out there who love the song. Just listen to it and don't think about the video. Just listen to the music and yeah. maybe, maybe I'm not a heartless bastard. <laughs> Hopefully. Maybe you are. Who maybe knows? I am. You know, this this might be something I need to learn about myself. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Uh, what is this? Soul Asylum, uh, Runaway Train. I already don't like it. <laughs> His voice in in retrospect, or listening to it now, his voice isn't as annoying as I remember it. And maybe it's because I think pop voices are more annoying now than they were. Yes. And it might... Let me reserve... Yeah. This is another melody from another song. What is that? Yeah, yeah that's very familiar. Well, yeah, that? it's a very generic song. Yeah, there's nothing. It's that '50s, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Through the lyrics, there's no suggestion that it's about kids who've run away. It's like runaway train, never look back, wrong way down a one-way track. I don't know. It's like to me, that's not obvious that it's about running away from home. Yeah, just sort of generic. Uh... Generic angst. Yeah.
But yeah, it's like the chord progression. It's like every like folky '90s like it's like probably five different Jewel songs. Right. <laughs> break it down Ooh, for the third verse. Yeah. It's a rule: country, pop, R and B. Break it down for that third verse. It's very Tom Petty. Yeah. And Tom. Not Petty, just the vocal style, but the whole production. Yeah, and Tom Petty is like such a unique. Like he's the kind of person. I remember the first time I think I heard "Free Falling," and I had this thing like during the verse. I'm like, "There's nothing to this song. Like this is why is this on the radio?" And then he gets to the chorus, and I'm singing along already. I'm like, right. "How did he do that?" Like, right, right. And Tom Petty does that with so many of his songs, and like he's like, "It that's something you can't." He does that. No one else really can, you know. But right, right. Yeah, he's one of those guys. He can do a he's simple song guys. and somehow. You know, send it to the rafters. Right, right. And you, anyone else doing it, you'd be like, eh, "This is kind of cheesy." Yeah. yeah, and that's that's what I feel about this. Yeah, that was bad. That's really. Yeah, so it's not you know it's not the worst song in the world. I don't you know, but for no, some it's reason just, I remember it's unremarkable. Yeah, and I just I was very defensive because I me not liking it. People thought because the video was so powerful, people thought I was just like cold and heartless. So I guess it's more me just being defensive, saying it's not a good song. <laughs> It's not a good song. <laughs> it's not a bad song, but it's not yeah. a good song. There's nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, unenthused. <laughs> All right. So that was Soul Asylum. That's pretty forgettable. I don't think that one's gonna get stuck in my head though. Yeah. Not like Red Red Wine or, you know. Uh, yeah. Some it's, of the other it's not. Tunes. It's not one that tortures you. Like it's. No. No. So we're slowly building to some <laughs> some serious hate here. Now, now the next one surprised me a little bit because it's a uh, classic Sinatra. Yeah, not well, a, not a fan of my way, huh? It's middle it's middle era Sinatra. This is like the '60s Sinatra, I think. Right. And uh, this is one I think Sinatra. When he was figuratively phoning it in, before he was literally phoning it in, because he did that he did that album of duets with people like in the '90s, and they literally did it via like ISDN right. line. He was he wasn't in the same room with them. Yeah. yeah, so he he did that album where they literally phoned it in. This one, I think, you know, this is the same era as like Strangers in the Night and stuff, where I think he was right. just kind of, I don't know for sure, but the thing that bugs me about this song is, um, it's just like the fake, or just the contrived braggadocio of it, you know. And the story behind the song, too, like, it's, you know, do you know the, the French original? Like, the original French song is called uh, Come D'Habitude, which is, like, as usual. And uh-huh. it, it's, a, it's a French song, and it's, it's about a relationship that's sort of on its last legs, and people are just sort of going through the motions of this sort of loveless relationship. And it's, a re- it's the same arrangement. If you hear the original, it's the same arrangement with the great horns and the great swells and the great emotional musically. Uh-huh. Um, so Paul Anka was traveling in France back when that song was a hit and he hears the song he's like oh I like it I'm gonna buy the rights to it for America I'm gonna rewrite lyrics and give it to Frank and so the lyrics that Paul Anka wrote were these like part of the reason I hate the sort of uh, the bragginess of the lyrics is that Frank Sinatra didn't even write them himself and they were written for him and so like to me they're kind of like sycophantic you know Uh it's this guy who wants to curry favor with Frank so I wrote this song about how badass you are and even Frank Sinatra his daughter in a a biography said like uh, he didn't really like it he thought the song was a little too over the top a little too a little too 
boastful, you know? Right. And um, so Paul Anka, but Paul Anka was like trying to sell it to Frank and he's like, oh, you're the only one who could do this song. No one else could do this song. This is your song. And then like two months after Frank released it, Paul Anka releases his own version of the song. So, <laughs> so he believed in the song. He believed it was Frank's song so much that he recorded his own version like, uh-huh. months later. Of and, course he did. And so like, I just, all of that sort of builds, like, I guess adds to my annoyance. And then plus it's the karaoke one that... Yeah, everybody sings like every Goomba goes to karaoke and sings a song and thinks they're being, and I just feel like it's it's one of those things where it's 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 like Trump Tower, man. It's this big shiny thing that people think, oh, that's great. It like it's it it exudes power, but it's based on nothing. You right. know, I guess is why I I really dislike it. Uh, side note, this song is uh, how I passed physical education in high school. Really? So I I was not. Clearly, from looking at me, I was not an athlete. And uh, my gym teacher said, listen, if you learn this song on guitar and accompany me on stage at some, you know, school function, I'll give you an A. Whoa. <laughs> so I was like, you know. That's I, a that's an awesome deal. I, I picked up the sheet music. <laughs> I learned it, uh, you know, dumbed down the chords a little bit to like yeah. triads so I could play it on guitar. And, uh, yeah, we knocked it out, and he was pretty good. He was pretty good. Uh, really? And he, he stayed true to his word? You got the A? Yeah, well, a, a passing grade. Well, I think okay. it was a pass fail. Oh, right. Well, it was that's... one of those, yeah. Mr. Apicella. Thank you, Mr. Apicella. Oh, my gosh. So what was it like a... Like a open house or like some sort of like faculty student. It was some sort of like talent, talent show, show. Oh, yeah, okay. where like the whole student body <laughs> was in the auditorium and we were on stage and, uh, yeah, you know that I, is uh, awesome. I busted out my uh, my heavy metal guitar and a, <laughs> and a little gorilla amp and accompanied my Italian PE teacher. Oh my gosh, with, that's with my way. Yeah. See, if I only knew that version of the song, like if I only knew your and Mister, I'm really glad there's not a record of it. I'm sure it's not good. <laughs> See, oh, that, you but know. But it was fun because he, he was just struggling with me. He's just like, I can't find anything. You're not good at anything. You can't throw a ball. You can't. What am I going to do with you? And it, it sort of, uh, I redeemed myself and he redeemed himself when we came together uh, musically for this for this one performance. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. I love that. Now so I, well, I'm not. Now I feel bad for not liking the song, but I'm glad I chose it to hear that story. Yeah, yeah. It, I, 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 that, that, I was listening to it last night. And I was like, oh yeah, I played this with Mr. Apicella. I forgot about that back in uh, high school. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, we're gonna hear Frank do it, which yeah. I'm pretty sure he did it a little bit better than Mr. Apicella. Uh, sorry. And Paul Anka. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go with uh, "My Way" by uh, Frank Sinatra. Now, there's several versions. I, yeah. I think I have the definitive one here. And Sounds like it. The end His vocal performance is the same on all yeah. of them. And so I face the final curtain. <laughs> Sur toi, friend, je replace le droit. I, I nice. put the covers back over you. I'll state my case I'm afraid that you're cold. Of which I'm certain. Uh, wait, I think... Uh, my hand caresses your hair almost in spite of myself. Well, these lyrics are much better. But you, you turn your back to me as usual. It's like a really sad song in French, but musically it's the same. It builds and builds with the horn section and stuff. Yeah, this this I did admire the production here. It's yeah, music. It, yeah, it, it does. And, and Nancy took uh, 
took a note from her dad that way, like when she did uh, Boots Are Made for Walking. It slowly builds that arrangement to the yeah, point where... Yeah, is this where, one of the Nelson Riddle arrangements? I don't know. But the original, the uh, Come Dabby Tude by Claude Francois, is very similar in the arrangement. It builds and builds, and it's really... And it's got those sappy strings and everything. Yeah, and then it just, you know, has a good horn section at the end. And I played it for a friend of mine, this uh, this woman who worked in my local bar. She's Georgian from the country Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's really artsy and cool and funny. And when I played the, her the original French version, she had never heard it. But uh, her her take on it was, like, this reminds me of Seed Wishes. Because <laughs> uh, he did that. Uh, he did a version, yeah. Or he did, um, did he do a version of this? He did this. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So she thought the French version reminded him of that because, as usual, uh, what are the lines? I can't remember all the French lines, but it's very, it's like a very bitter song about sort of a relationship where all the love and, you know, spark has gone out. And it works really well with the uh, stirring musical arrangements. Yeah. Whereas these lyrics are just very much, I'm a badass, you know. Yeah, right, right. I did it my way. Hey, yo. Let's go watch The Godfather for the 25th time. Oh. (laughs) I used to call that Italian Morse code. Hey, oh, 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 hey, hey, oh, hey, oh, oh. Uh, We love Italians, just to be clear. Yes. Especially Brooklyn Italians. I've had my fill. But yeah, musically, it's like, yeah, the arrangement, the... The arrangement's great. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's beautiful. He always had good arrangements. But, uh, yeah, between between the backstory of the song, the sort of faux braggadociousness of it, and the fact that I can't stand hearing people sing it at karaoke, <laughs> this made the list for me. I know, karaoke has probably ruined a lot of songs for a lot of people. Come, Dabitude, as usual... I will play along. Oh no, I will something. I will play along to to keep up appearances. Uh huh. As usual, I will smile. As usual, I'll even laugh. Je vais sourire. As usual, I'll even live. As usual, it's like very uh. Yeah, those lyrics are much better. And despite the era of Frank's career, he, yeah, he does, he's, he sells this one more than he sells Strangers in the Night, that's for sure. I'm convinced that song, he was like, it was three in the morning, he's like, I just want to go home. Right. <laughs> yes. It was my way. So in conclusion, yes, I like Frank, and yes, I like Claude Francois, the guy who did the French version, uh-huh. but screw Paul Anka. <laughs> <laughs> In his shitty lyrics. Yeah. God damn you, Paul Anka. And the thing is, you know, this, this era of Frank Sinatra is so um, well known, you know, I... I don't know as much about his early days when he really became a star. Like, he was a huge, huge star in like oh, the he 30s was like, and 40s. He, like, he was the Beatles before the Beatles. Yeah, you know, like, you girls know. were, like, fainting and screaming their heads off. Yeah, you know so I mean? He was point, the original he was rock like star. established 20 years, you know, it's a 20-year career right. that he's established. Right. He's been back and forth to the movies, you know, he did From Here to Eternity, and I think he had already done... Uh, the man with the golden arm. Have you ever seen that yes. movie that he's in? He's where, really where good he's in that. The junkie, the yeah, jazz the car dealer, junkie. jazz musician junkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so like I, I don't have as clear a concept of what he, what his you know the sensation and what his uh, career was like when he was first coming out because apparently he was yeah like in the 30s and 40s or before World War II he was like yeah he was, he was one of the biggest star. yeah he yeah. was like the biggest star that there could be yeah absolutely and uh, and then and then of course after this period uh, when he got when he got older and did a comeback he had that great band. You know, in the seventies. Oh yeah. That uh, where he was doing all those Vegas gigs. I mean, just a fantastic band. Yeah. And these great arrangements, you know, that his son still uses to this day. Um, <laughs> you want a refill? Oh uh, sure. Okay, let's take a break for a sec, and uh, we'll be back. To open a door on the rest of the world and step out, falling free, two miles, straight down. Go for it. You go for all the gusto you can get, making the most of now. From the life you live to the beer you drink, Schlitz. Beer with gusto since 1849. The official beer of the Winter Olympics. Go for it. I was like, I was the nerd who was appalled. I'm like, excuse me. Ruined the timeline. Worst timeline ever. <laughs> Button Down Mine came out in 1960. Right, right. But I know this because it was like he was the best new artist. It was a comedy album that was like number one. It won Grammys and it was 1960 that it came out. Now, yeah. wasn't there a thing between him and... Don Adams. No. Oh. Uh, older comic, Jewish. Uh, Mort Saul, maybe? Mark Maron interviewed this guy, and, and he talked about how basically, you know, he had a he had a bit where it was a one sided conversation, very simple, and and he's like he's like you know Bob Newhart pretty much ripped off that bit, and he's like that's fine if he tells if he cops to it, but he never did, and they had a long, who's the was it Mort Saul or was it Shecky Green, one of those old Catskill Borscht Belt yeah. comics, you know. Well, because there's also, there's another story, the reverse of that, where, because Bob Newhart was writing comedy for radio in Chicago, and he didn't say in the interview, he didn't say who it was, uh, and this was like a podcast that was done like in the last like maybe five or ten years, but in the interview, he didn't say who had ripped him off, but he said, yeah, this comic, this headliner came through Chicago, and I showed him some of my work, and said, like, would you like to buy some of this? And the guy said, no, but, you know, send me other stuff if you have it, and then the guy did the bit on TV. Oh, shit. And so Bob Newhart, that's why he started performing. He's like, well, if people are just going to rip me off, I'm going to do it. Right. And I looked it up and it was, this one article I read said it was Don Adams. I don't know for sure, but it was like, it was either the Lincoln bit or it was the subway commit or the submarine commander bit mm -hmm. from uh, Button Down Mine. But, so I hadn't heard the other side of it though where someone, but if it's, you know, if it's a similar one-sided conversation thing, that's like a format thing and not a specific Steal, well, I think stealing this, the script. I think this was he was the first guy to do the one-sided conversation. Oh yeah, you know? and was I think it was about he was calling a department store about somebody who was on the ledge, and it was about the the bureaucracy that he had to the red tape that he had to go through. Okay, to get through to someone just to say there's someone on the ledge, just get someone to go out oh, there and yeah. pull him inside. Right. You know, it was that, I think that was the gist of the joke. Uh, but moving along. Yes. What, what do we have next on our loathing list? This one surprised me. The um, list. Uh, once again, you surprised me. And, and we're, I think we're going to listen to two versions of this song. Okay. Because you mentioned two, and I listened to one, and then I listened to the other one. And I think there can be some, some things to be said about both versions. Okay. But I want to hear your take 
on Mr. Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. I love this production. Classic. And what this is like, what, 1956, 55 or something? It's got to be. Yeah, it's, it's pre-1960, yeah, for sure. In the current era of, you know, it's basically in just being more aware of uh, women's issues and the, ha- the harassment that they put up with. Pretty woman's stop. Hey, 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 stop. Hold up. I'm just trying to talk to you. Excuse right. Me. Wait a minute. I just want to just, just so come and talk to me for a minute. Right. You're, you're, and then here it is. Give your smile to me. Like, when's the last time you had, right. a, you had a good reaction when you told a woman to smile? Right, 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 right. <laughs> you don't right. smile enough. Hey, baby. Right, right. woman, look my way. No, she's avoiding you. Like, if, if she is not looking your way for a reason. But wasn't it, isn't it written about his wife? Yeah. Yeah. I'll treat you right. Just, But just imagine someone saying this to someone walking down the street. I mean, coming from, you know, <laughs> visually impaired, sort of charming Roy Orbison, this is a little more innocent and sweet. I hope. I will give Roy Orbison the benefit of the doubt. Now, you know, if... And if it's his wife, you know, maybe they're into role-playing and, and she likes being catcalled by someone she knows and trusts. Right, right. <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't think it's written about a stranger, I guess is my point. It's somebody he's familiar with, he cares right. about, and it's it, it, it's well, a, it's, a lo- be- it's a love letter. I think we know that because we know the backstory of the song. If you just hear the song and the lyrics itself Right. A a modern feminist may take umbrage. Well and also the whole time lyrics. we ever covered it, I didn't know it was about his wife until like later. I just thought it was a, I thought it was like Girl from Ipanema, a guy talking to a woman who's passing by and right. has no connection to, which is also a very elaborate cat call. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but that's a very sophisticated and sexy cat call. Oh, yeah. Like, you will get laid with music, that song. <laughs> musically, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the musical theory you have to know to make that cat call is at least worth something. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it's another one where it's like it's a simple song, and I heard it a bunch, and so now it just reminds me of a different era, so... Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I, I did want to play devil's advocate to that one, Because I think that's a great classic, you know. A, it is a classic. It's not like Burt Bacharach's He Hit Me and It Felt Like a Kiss, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, like, there's, wor- there's more misogynistic songs yes. from this era and, and prior to this. Yeah, you know? and after for anything from, like, half of 70s rock. Uh, Two Live Crew, for instance. <laughs> Or, uh, yeah. What? Most of Van Halen's oeuvre, which I love musically, but, you know, some of it, I don't know, Panama isn't the deepest. No, I think <laughs> it's about Isn't the a... deepest canal built. I... <laughs> just... Wow, the, the triple entendre is going on here. <laughs> um, that brings us to uh, Van Halen's version. Yeah. And I think we should hear that because... I think it speaks to your point more so. Yes. Because it's Dave. When Roy sings it, it's sweet. It's about yeah. his wife. When Dave sings it, it's about that 14-year-old <laughs> in the front row that I'm going to plow till next July. Yeah, it's about the person in the audience that he goes backstage to tell the roadie to go give a backstage pass to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, I haven't heard this in a long Was 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 it Diver Down that this was on? That's correct. Like, yes. Diver Down, which is a great record. I had this that is on. not my favorite song off that. I just love the sound of that guitar, though. I don't. No? See, I... 
I wish there was a way I could listen to Van Halen with all the lyrics off. Just, I just... <laughs> <laughs> But just look at the audio file compared to the Roy Orbison version. It's like a yeah. solid bar. It's yeah. so compressed. Yeah, musically, it's a great song. It's, you know, yeah. this, is, this is a good bridge. But Dave singing this, it's just kind of sleazy. No, it's way creepier. Like, yeah. I feel a little dirty right now. And that's not just because I skipped a shower tonight. Yeah, I think everything, every... David Lee Roth Van, era Van Halen, which is the only Van Halen I really listen to, is, um, yeah, there's something retroactively a little creepy about all of it. Well, but I love the music This so song much. especially, they didn't write, like, the stuff that they wrote is spot on. They were the 80s uh, Beach Boys. They were our Beach Boys. Everything was about girls and cars, yeah. you know? It's longer than Roy's. Like, I, I could be done now. Yeah. We could tap out. What else? They did a cover of the... Was the Kinks cover on this album also? The, uh... You no, really, I think that was really on, like, me? the first or the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah, this that was one, an early hit Diver Down them. had uh, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now, though. That's a great <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh... <laughs> the clarinet solo from their dad or something. What, right? was, what was it? Um, now, Hang Em High. Oh, yeah. Opens and up Spanish that album. guitars or little guitars? I think little guitars oh. is on this. Oh, yep, that yep, was yep. a great song. It's a great record. Oh, I mean, Van Halen really nice. didn't do a bad record <laughs> until they got rid of David Lee Roth. And what was that, 51? Or was it after 51? It, it was uh, 1984 was the last one with Dave before he came back. Oh, okay. But he came back in 2012 and they did another one. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I mean, 1984 is like kind of the best thing. Oh, that is, yeah. It's that a perfect is, record. That is, yeah, that is like... That is on a pedestal, like and it, yeah, and I'm yeah. I I admit my hypocrisy in that, like I literally yeah. Hot for Teacher is one of my favorite rock songs ever, and lyrically I can't defend any of it. It's just, but it's just silly. I mean, it's just like a silly. Oh, but it was so 80s, you yeah. know, like but, the, but like the, like when he goes ooh, and then her dress comes off and she's in a bikini and she and there's like stage lights, like it's a strip like, club. It's like yes. And it, but it's all it's all about the riff and the groove because there's like some parts that aren't even lyrics or chords. It's like yeah, I wonder what the teacher's gonna look like this year. Like it's not. I that, don't feel tardy. Yeah, there's it's like it's not. They're all asides, you know. It's mm -hmm. like it's like Popeye asides. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But you know, when you listen to the music of it, and it's it's clear that it's not played to a click track because there's times where it speeds up and slows down and whatnot. Right. And there, you know, and so you know, it's just like. It's like the bass, drums, and guitar. They just laid down. They tracked it, and they just I, yeah, they just knocked it out, man. Like especially yeah. that, that that ending, like da, da, like a big building end, like songs. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, like there will never be another song like that. And I yeah, I love that song so much. So. And it's the best video. <laughs> David Lee Roth directed that video. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and he was yeah he was a good frontman for that era and like he really, perfect you know he's like he's like the guy in Music Man the salesman guy you know he's like you need that huckster in front of it just to like sell that ridiculousness. You know? Well, but he was also really talented vocally. And yeah, and he was a good stage presence like the way he, he jumped around and flipped and yeah. swung off oh, of yeah. like trapezes and stuff. He, that that aspect of his act has waned. He doesn't do that stuff. Well, I'm mean, what he's got to be pushing seventy now. No, I don't think he's that old. I think he's like in his late fifties or sixties. No way. Yeah, I think so. He's so it, we're recording this in 2019, January 2019. I'm gonna say David Lee Roth is at least 65 years old. Oh, I'm sorry. 
survey says 64. Oh! Very close. Missed it by that much. I know, I know. <laughs> no, but I thought he was younger. I, I really did. Um, so close. Uh, all right, so, yeah. So, yeah, so Pretty Woman. Pretty like, Woman by Van Halen. Not not as sweet. Uh, yeah, and I think it, I think it, it, it exemplifies my point more than the Roy Oberson version. That yes. it's, just, it's a dated. Well, when when you when you said either the Van Halen or the Roy Orbison version, I'm like, I think he means the Van Halen version. Yeah, I mean, because I went back and listened to Roy Orbison, and I'm like, I don't get an ounce of creepiness out of this. Like, it's sweet, yeah. and and I knew it was about his wife, but I I never it never seemed. Like I said, it's not, he hit me and it felt like a kiss. Right, and it's know? also, yeah, it's, there's that whole discussion of is it is it fair to judge stuff from 40 years ago? Right. I mean, the song you're talking about, the other, uh, who Burt did Bacharach. It? Yeah, that, like, that definitely shouldn't have been cool at the time. No, but, no. But, you know, a song like that or, like, you know, the... There's, there's so many different interpretations of what does, you know, baby, it's cold outside really mean? Is it the woman? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, You yeah, know, yeah, but, yeah. like, so, like, it's, we can't go relitigate. Every song that was ever written no, in the past. But, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But between that and it, like, and part of it is me sort of shunning my, some of my 50s cover band roots, you know, like the first bands I was in were like, we just, like, I, and it was the 80s when. You know, no one cares. No one cares what these Americans think about the music, about the art. What do they know? I learned songwriting was from, although I, I do prefer the Beatles side of it, like the, the right. sort of mid '60s on more than the early '50s. But that's anymore. a good place to start. Yeah, it's it's you know like, it's if, almost if like you start rock with 101. Exactly, exactly. You're going back to rock and roll's roots. You know, it doesn't go further back. You know, the only further back you can go is the blues, and you know, which of course rock has uh, owes a big uh, Gret of gratitude. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's a dubious addition to my, my, my list. It's not like, I don't loathe it as much as, you know, Brown Eyed Girl or, uh, you know, some of the others we're going to get to. Right, right. But it's, it's, it's one that I sort of, in rethinking, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to be enthusiastic about that song anymore, I guess. Speaking of some of the other ones we're going to get to, <laughs> you, 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 this is an odd one, and I think it's appropriate because we are in the holiday season. We're, we're taping this in January. We uh, both survived. We, yeah, Christmas, we just endured the, the, the holiday season. New Year's. Uh, have yourself a very Merry Christmas. Merry Merry Christmas. Oh, is that what it is? I think yeah. that's the official title. Yeah, you're probably right. From I've, the, I've uh, been drinking. From the, I, I learned this. It's from the movie Meet Me in St. Louis, starring a young Judy Garland. Is um, it? Yeah, that's the. I think that's. So where she it came did from. the original version. She, yeah, she, she is she, the definitive. Yeah, she originated. Okay. And, uh, which were like you said? Did you say you had a couple different versions? I do. Fired up? Okay. What? Yeah. What you got? Let's. Uh, uh, the first one is Luther Vandross. Ooh. All right. I'm curious. Who Who doesn't love? Some Luther. Because one of the so one of the reasons I one of the reasons this song made the list is because it seems like it's one of those songs that everybody feels like they have to do. Like every artist when they do a Christmas album, yes. it's got to be on it. And yeah. also, like when you're a pop artist and you do that Christmas standard album, I think you've already just admitted you're irrelevant and you're not. You know, right. you've already given up. I think. Right. And so there was a time, and it was specifically some people can pull it off, but yeah, yeah, I agree. So so uh, for the, for our listeners out there, Matt and I have worked freelance gigs together in the past. Uh, we both do. Uh, Photoshop work and worked at photo studios and whatnot. And there was one, and I remember distinctly, we were sitting at the desk. It was a big open office, a big loft 
open studio. So there's photo studio on one side, all of us at our workstations on the other side. Oh, the place where they were constantly burning food. Yes. And we had red eyes all the time. Yes. And it was like, why so am I the, inhaling burnt bacon? And the photographers in the photo in the in the uh, photo studio part of it, they would always pick a playlist. Fucking Ryan. And sometimes they had like a playlist that was like ten songs, and they would play it all day. And we, like the third time you hear a song in a day, for people like us that are actual musicians and oh are are more active listeners than other oh people who can God. just tune it out. So there was one point where it was just some generic Christmas playlist, and it was the Mariah Carey version of this song. And I actually, Ooh. and no one was manning the computer; it was just sort of on autoplay. Right. And I just got up and I went and I hit <laughs> pause. And Catherine Lepp said, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> In that British accent of hers. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. So, like, I'm curious because this is one. It really does. It's so many people do this song, and it's the people who yeah. do it badly have ruined the song for me because I don't. Right. There are versions of it that I like. And we could talk about it, but yeah, let's hear the let's hear the version that you have queued up because I'm curious. I don't think I know this one. We got a little Luther Vandross. Uh, I, who who can be angry when Luther Vandross is singing? I don't think I can. So I want to hear this because it might it might uh, uh, redeem the song for me. Maybe. Let's see. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Have yourself <laughs> a merry little Christmas. Shit. Oh. <laughs> I love Luther Vandross's voice, but. I might not be able to take this song. Yeah, yeah. This production is a little... It is. It yeah. already sounds mitified and cheesy, but... CD 101.9. Yes. For those of us that who remember that smooth jazz yes. station, it has that production value. Taking you through the day, you're at work, radio station. But it's a Depression-era song. It's supposed to be sad, so when people try to record it and make it uplifting, like, is, is part, the part that bugs me. And so there's a line that gets changed a lot. This is... No, this, this, this line right here. Ah, uh, it's... It's the rewrite. What's, what's the original one? After all, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Oh, see, that's much better. It's sad, though. It's it's about the Depression. It's but about... This doesn't sound happy, this version. See, if the song started here, I'd be fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies to Mr. Vandross, but... And so this... And the Mariah Carey version, that's the line that just, like, it's so, like, talking about being, like, bludgeoned with, like, you are going to listen to my high note, and you are right. going to like it. Right, You know, right. and that's, and that's, particularly, is that line is the part that... Okay, so this version, not as bad as that. Correct. But you're probably not going to dial this up. No. When you're sitting down in Texas with mom for Christmas. <laughs> like I said, the two versions I like is the original Judy Garland one or um, this guy named Ethan Lipton. He's a quirky, old-timey songwriter. He's current, but he's kind of like a Leon Redbone type. Ooh. Sort of a Marvin Gaye. Yeah, a little coda. This, this outro Ending is... here. <laughs> Yeah, Luther. He's got a great voice. There's just no denying that. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> Nine more. Not quite dead, done yet. <laughs> just hold on. And six more hits. <laughs> I think that's it. 
No, I mean, I did kind of choose this as a joke. Like, all right, come on, Rob. How, how can you not like Luther Vandross, yeah. you know? No, this, that, was, that was a tolerable version of the song. Now, and then I found, I came across this one. Uh-oh. Now I'm which, afraid. Because uh, no. if that was the good one. <laughs> so I was looking for a version that Willie Nelson did because he always makes everything Aww. sound awesome. But I came yeah. across this. Oh. Got a steel guitar in it. I already like it. No, it's not the same song at all, though. No. I'd rather smoke a cigarette and listen to bad jazz than this podcast. And here we are. And here we are today. <laughs> After all, right. all, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially through this next song. God damn it. <laughs> Damn you, Robert. What is next? Oh, gosh. What did, what did I say? Meatloaf. Oh, my God, yes. Paradise by the Dashboard This lights. one is pure loathing. This song is... Uh, the other songs... I, some uh, of the songs I was, uh, you know, ambiguous about are... I just, right. You this just, song is pure loathing. Those were... You heard them too much. It's a frequency thing. Yeah, or I have a, I have a small issue with some of those, but this one is just... Um, gu- this is a gut visceral reaction yeah i'm with you on this i i think i and i have a theory maybe this sounds a little misogynistic but i have a theory that chicks like this song and dudes hate it i don't know any guy that likes this song but a lot of girls are yeah. like it speaks to me all right mm. let's hear if it speaks to anybody out there uh... <laughs> a little rock and roll i forgot that that was the intro <laughs> Very 1950s here. It sounds like Holiday Road by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> it totally does. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> but I think this this song actually goes through, like here we're very 1950s. Yeah. And it, 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 it updates itself as it goes along. So one of the reasons this song is on my list Right when I graduated college, I was living back in my hometown of Waukegan, Illinois for about a year or so, and I was going out to the bars in the area in Lake County, Illinois, and it seemed like any given time, one time a night, this this song would get played at a bar, like a party bar, like, so it's like all... Always, yeah. Young 20-somethings hanging out at a bar, you know, aggro dudes, meatheads. Right. Chicks, you know, I don't know. Lots of hormones, lots of sure. alcohol because we're legal at this point. And for some reason, this song would come on and everybody would bellow it out as if the song was like dudes as well. You know what? I I remember specifically women bellowing it uh-huh. out, but I think yeah. guys played along because women liked it so much. And they wanted to get laid that night. And just like, yeah, I love this song because you like it. And. And there's such a corny, uh, like, <laughs> musical theater corniness to it, you know? Like, and, Oh, it's totally theater, And yeah. musical theater isn't necessarily good or bad, but it's like, this is a weird sort of campy, kitschy, drag show version of musical theater that I just can't yeah, get into it. Yeah, it's no Sondheim. <laughs> right. It tries to be. Uh, I remember thinking that last night when I was reviewing this, and like, oh, they're making an attempt at sort of but it really comes off as like a second rate Rocky Horror Picture Show thing it is and you know because he was in it too like yeah it's, that's uh, right he was in it yeah he was that when rock, he wasn't so fan, he fat was that, he was that Rock Frankenstein or whatever the character's name that's was right, yeah. that's right that's right and 
On some level, I think, yeah, it's hilarious to do like such a dramatic production of just and basic high school horniness, but... Right. I... There's something like there's just something sort of joyless and calculated about it all. Like I don't It's not deep. No, it's Well, and even like I don't mind things that aren't deep. You know, like Like I, here I, it's very 1970s porno. And they got the guy calling it like it's a ball game. Yeah, I just I And maybe it's because I I see like I see what you're going for and that also makes me angry. I don't know. <laughs> Like, sometimes, Almost did a spit take on the mic. Because <laughs> sometimes you could like try, you could swing for the fences and miss, but you're like, you know what? I appreciate what you were trying to do there. And like, right. I don't even know if I appreciate what they're trying to do. No, <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. I don't think so. No. And this is the blue ball section. Yeah. You know, it's almost Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's that amateur. But the bad side, like, yeah, the not the uh, Jesus Christ superstar, but like the uh, Starlight Express side of it. <laughs> yeah, or... Uh, cats. Cats, yeah. Exactly. Jesus Christ Superstar had so much potential. There's, I still like... Like, if they, if like they the did a second go... I still like a lot of the music in it. A lot of it is derivative. Like, there's some songs that are basically, totally. this is Brubeck, but, you right, know, like... Right. And it is sort of, this is... And it, the frappy guitar. And it's just kind of, yeah, it's a misogynistic point of view, too, also. just uh, Well, but she has her say in it. Albeit right, but annoying. But she does. And then they have an argument at the end where... The argument is, I don't like you enough to... To go all the way to meet your demands for getting laid or something like I don't. It's the whole thing is an antiquated 1950s sort of yeah. view of sexuality. She needs a commitment. Yeah. He just wants to get laid. Somewhere in there, I think somewhat the background vocals go. Women be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we, like, in the song? Are we, like, four minutes in or five minutes in now? Because, like... We've got to be at least seven minutes in. Because, you know, at this point, it's like... So imagine you're, like, in your 20s at a bar, like, trying to have a good time. It's like, enough with this freaking song. Right. Like, yeah, and so that's... But people, like, want to... It's, it's, it is like Rocky Horror. Like, the people who sing along to this song are, like, the people that, like, act out Rocky Horror when you go to see They throw it, you know, toast like, and shit. Yeah, it's like, yeah, no, right. I'm, I'm playing Riff Raff tonight. You, like... Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather just listen to his song from uh, Rocky Horror, The Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. I really love rock and roll. I think that was his song from Rocky Horror. Right, right. But at least that was like a two and a half minute rock and roll, three chord, you know, roots right. rock song. Right. This is like four songs this strung is, together. It's trying to be something it, it can't hit, too. You know, like with all these parts, it's it's trying to be like a concept record yeah, or it's prog like that, rock. It's like that but Green it's Day American Idiot track where it's like there's a lot in there. You try, you swung for the fences, but you ripped off nine other songs. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. It's not, you know, if I'm listening to a 20 minute Yes song, they're gonna go somewhere. Yeah. And they're gonna keep you interested if you like prog rock. 
Why am I still talking about prog rock? Yeah, well, it's. I think I have PTSD. Well, from there are that different. <laughs> Well, there are different styles of music where longer pieces are, right, are more apropos. You know, like it, classical, it, yeah, classical, the like yeah, concerto yeah. because you know you start with a theme and then you you do variations on the. This is stupid. Yeah, it doesn't explore anything other than teenage sexuality, <laughs> you know, and right, which you know, it's uh, you're gonna sell records. Yeah, and well, and there's That's you know, sure. and there's a lot to it. It's not like teenage sexuality is something you could discuss in two minutes but if you're doing it in the pop music format like yeah well and they're not really delving deep into the psychology of right. the 13 year old mind <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of other topics they could have covered um yeah all right so that is your most hated song pretty much and it's yeah it's between ever it's between the longest. It's between the length of that song and uh, the way people reacted to it when I was in my early twenties, and just right. yeah, the overbearingness of it, and just yeah, most pop music. When I hate it, it's because I feel like it's hitting me over the head, and a lot of it does, you know. But like that, for right. some reason, that song especially, I just feel like it's, you know, when when the guys get together and, uh, you know, the the. You, you see the old uh, cartoons of, like, four dudes with sledgehammers pounding in the circus tent, you know, stake right, in the ground. Right, right, like, right. That's how I feel about that song. It's like right. four it's different dudes taking turns with sledgehammers driving pounding it in home my head. Yeah. Way too hard. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so that's yeah, yeah, that song I never want to hear it again, so. Well, that brings us to the <laughs> uh, alternate categories. Okay. Let's go with the guilty pleasure. The guilty pleasure, yeah. And I had to think about this one because... <laughs> there are a lot out there. There's a, there are a lot of cheesy songs that you like listening to, but this one is one I really uh, that really sort of surprised me when I when I realized I liked it. Like I was not expecting to like this song, and I think the first time I heard it was someone that we also co-worked with. <laughs> I think she played it, and she's like, "Oh, this is my jam," and I'm like, "Oh, this is a cheesy song," and I like this was a song that surprised me when I realized I liked it. Yeah, but sometimes. Sometimes cheesy pop songs are really good. Yeah, you know, and I like the pop format if it's done well. But, yeah, this one really caught me off guard when I realized that, hey, this is a good song, I think. I like that guitar sound. That's, and that's exact. well, the, this riff. Yeah. It's good. But, so, for those of you out there, this is a Miley Cyrus song. Miley Cyrus, Billy Ray Cyrus's daughter, Hannah Miley Montana. Cy yeah. Uh, Party in the USA. Yes. By Miley Cyrus. And the production is kind of annoying because, like, once everything kicks in, you hear the, the, the synth bass and everything in it. Yeah. So here's the verse. We're on verse two, but, like, pop song construction. Verse one, verse two, pre-chorus. Chorus. Yeah, and the synth bass is annoying. And the lyrics are dumb. I'm nodding my head like, yeah. How else do you nod your head? <laughs> I'm nodding my head like, maybe? I make fun, like, I write original songs that are funny. It, I intend them to be funny. And then I also... Uh, I also make fun of pop music in my act, too. So I'll play, like, a riff, and I'll get people to sing along, or I'll, like, play a riff and make fun of the lyrics of a song. And so when I was learning the riff, the guitar riff, that uh, the guitar riff that you heard in the breakdown, 
when I was learning that guitar riff, that's when I was like, this is kind of a good guitar riff. It almost reminded me of Beast of Burden by yeah. uh, Rolling Stone. Right, right, right. Very Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so I was like, oh, this is a cool guitar riff. And that alone is a rarity in pop music right now, that there's an actual freaking guitar riff that's part of any kind of hook That's anymore. actually played by a guitar yeah. player, right? Yeah. And so, like, I started, like, I started playing the song, and I'm like, despite all, like, this production, I, I drives me crazy. The, the synth bass, like, the, the compressed nature of everything. But if you isolate the melody, like, if you just play this by yourself on an acoustic guitar with the melody, I think it's a catchy, good song. Right. The harmony and melody are good. So it's a good song. It's the production that's objectionable. That's yeah. my opinion, yeah. Yeah. One of the only covers I've ever posted on YouTube, I turned uh, Taylor Swift's uh, Shake It Off into a waltz, and I did a version of it in 3-4 <laughs> time. Nice. And I think it works really well. <laughs> nice. I got to check that out. But, yeah, I um, I agree with you. If a song can be changed, if, if, if a song can jump genres and still be catchy or still be a good song, that sort of defines it as a it's well-written good, it's song. It's good writing. Yeah. 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 And so this... This one, because I would hear that production, that overbearing pop production that just, it's yeah. a wall of sound, right. but not in a Phil Spector way, they, just they, in an annoying, compressed synth way. So yeah, it was it was that riff in particular, when I started playing it on guitar, I was like, you know what, this might actually be a good song. And it was hard for me to admit that, because I didn't want to. Because I'm like, come on, this is, this is the daughter of someone who wrote one of my most hated pop songs. Of why, did that not, why did that not make the cut? That is just such an obvious, uh, to me it was just too obvious. A Low hanging fruit. Yeah, and... Okay. And uh, it's a two-chord song. It's like, yeah, it's it's hateable, but it also it had its moment, and it's over and done with, and no one cares anymore. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, and I also, like, so Miley Cyrus in general, I don't, you know, it's not like I follow her career. I didn't watch Hannah Montana at all when it was on whatever channel it was on. What? I don't know if it was, if it was Nickelodeon or Disney or whatever, but... So I was, think she was a Disney kid. So there was the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live that they had a live show. It was like a three-hour live show. It was a really cool event that they did. And she was on it as a musical guest along with a bunch of other people. And Paul Simon was one of the musical guests. So Miley Cyrus comes out and she says she's going to do a cover of 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. And I immediately was like, why are you doing a cover of this song when frickin' Paul Simon is on the same show as you? Right. And I thought her cover was really good. And I was like, yeah. yeah, and I was surprised. I'm like, geez, you know, I don't know anything about her personally or anything about the rest of her work. Like, I don't know all of her albums or anything. But but that was, that was the, like, so that was, you know, it was a song that made me think, it's like, I like, but like, she actually has done a, like, yeah, that, like, her take on that song I thought was really interesting. And I'm yeah. like, I, th- I literally think she's a good artist. At the starting line. Oh, this is cake. Engines <laughs> pumping and thumping. So this time. is the song the that. The green light flashes, the flag. I'm sorry, I lost track of that. And burning. That's all right. You want to finish your thought? No, no, no. It's cool. We'll, we'll go with this because cake was a band that I hated when I first heard them. <laughs> and I, this song kind of made me like them. I like any song that has a good bass I love this guitar sound And so like Their first song was like How do you afford this rock and roll jacket Or something like that And I really did I just didn't like the singer's voice I thought it was kind of like a, a whiny He sort of exemplified to me What I hated about my own generation Like he just To me sounded like a whiny Gen Xer 
And it wasn't until someone gave me, there's an album of live from Studio 8A or Studio 7A. It's, it's, a, it's an album from like the first five years of the Conan O'Brien show where it was all bands that played live on Conan and it's live versions of their songs. So there's a, a version of them doing this song live on Conan O'Brien. And it's, the thing is, it's not that different from the version we're hearing. So this is the version from their album. But when they played it live, it was as solid they, they as this. They did it dead on. Yeah, yeah the bass, the guitar riff, and the, the performance and so like when I yeah and so when I heard this song in the live version especially I was like this song is cool and so like I had to rethink it's like all right I was annoyed by their first thing but maybe it was there was something going else something else going on in my head that made me not like them well I could see being part of you know you could equate this with like a limp biscuit or 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 sort of early hip-hop rock and roll crossover shit this and is done high, really well. That 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 mood, yeah, that high is part very is, Dr. Dre. Yeah, they're they're ripping off like the West Coast rap right there. But well, ripping but off groove, uh, no, an homage. homage. Yeah, but the groove is solid. Like oh, with the bass line, yeah. like music should make you want to move in your seat. You know, and when I hear this song, I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to bob my head and yeah. But when I like the first time I heard Cake, I remember thinking like I don't know, like I don't know I was resistant to it. But this song sort of like I was like, I was at first it was begrudging. I'm like, all right, this is a good song. I like him. And now like now that I'm over sort of my twenty you know twenty well, right, angst yeah. or whatever my ego right. or whatever I'm like, I don't care that I didn't like them when I first heard them. I'm like, yeah, I, I like that song and I don't I'm care. totally embracing all the <laughs> cheesy stuff I liked. So like did you know the, the song like before or did you like when you I probably heard it a couple of times, but like last night was the first time I listened to it through. So what was your impression went, when you were listening to it? I liked it. Yeah, cool. I thought it was a really nice mix of like sixties fuzz guitar with, you know, uh West Coast rap, uh synthesizer sounds, the Moog. Yeah. Especially Without very the singer trying to with- Why am I involved? I have no idea. Oh, and speaking of covers, uh, I think I sent it to you at one point, but there's this woman named Bunny West who does a cover of Run to the Hills, but it's just... No way. It's just piano, grand piano and her vocals. I love when people take metal out of its genre Yeah, and do shit like that. It's so good. Uh, People, as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, go look up Bunny West covering Run to the Hills uh, by Iron Maiden. It is freaking amazing. It is so good. Should we put that on? No, we, we can at stuff. the end. We'll do that. Maybe we'll do like we'll a, do, as a play out or something. We'll yeah. do that after. Yeah, <laughs> it's so uh, good. I love it. So what's next? Um, uh, so we did the song that I, yeah, the song that I, the the guilty pleasure, and then we did the song that I used. So to... So going the distance by Cake was, was the one that I thought I hated, but I ended up hate, liking. Yes, and now you like it. Yeah, and now we're going to the the reverse used to like it. I used to like it, but I had to hate it. Killing in the name of by Rage Against the Machine. By Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, <laughs> I like this song. I yeah, this I song. liked it when I was in my twenties, and it was the nineteen hundred and nineties. And yeah, I think I didn't like it back then, and I learned to like this group later. So maybe really? that's why I'm the opposite of you. We cross paths. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. in our in our likage of this song. It's fucking attitude out the ass. And people didn't talk. I love this band. <clears throat> And people didn't talk about like police brutality at the time as much as you know we're aware of it now. You know, right. so it was an issue that I felt like needed to be, you know, addressed, and it addressed it 
in such a hardcore way and it was really exciting yeah uh but a friend of mine this guy named way back in the day when i first moved to new york in the mid 90s this guy named terry tokentins he had a joke about rage against the machine because he would say rage against the machine they just got signed by sony Sony is the machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well. I was like, and then part of me started to sort of look back on it sort of with skepticism and I'm like, maybe they're just performing their, you know, politics or whatever. But I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't know. I them. think these like, guys were pretty sincere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, let's, you know, you know, it's, it's, you can't deny that the, the guitar chunkiness of it is like, it just makes me want to jump up and down and like punch stuff oh yeah it's 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 <laughs> punk mixed with hip-hop mixed with metal really heavy heavy it's good. yeah it's like good. drop d drop c to me <laughs> i remember the cowbell yeah <laughs> Seems almost quaint now after after some years. <laughs> and this is a good riff. I can't deny that this is a good riff. This is so. This has such feel. It's just heavy. Yeah, it's heavy, but it's got swagger. You know. It's like Black Sabbath. It's metal that swings. Yeah. But like when I would hear this played at a bar after like three or four years, and you see like hedge fund dudes in khakis like yes my jam i'm like fuck you this is not your jam no. this should never be your jam well that's just ignorance yeah but for some reason that played into my you know sort of it uh played into the whole experience of listening to it and then, like i said it's not rages uh, rage against the machine's fault but it changes how i listen to it you know what i mean This part right here is also diminished because there's the Ben Folds album, uh, Rock in the Suburbs. Uh, he kind of makes fun of this particular moment right here in this Does song. He? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how dare he? I, you know, I really like, I really like that album, uh, Rock in the Suburbs. Just like it's, I think it's basically a friend of mine told me he's like you need to buy that album and if you don't like it i will pay for it because it's like it is so you but he has this line about like it's uh i'm rocking the suburbs like quiet riot did and there's like this whole breakdown where he's kind of he's kind of clowning on zach de la roca in like that whole sort of like performing rage kind of thing you know like uh -huh. i'm performing my you know political anger you know and maybe it's not fair because maybe it's legit you know like i i don't know anybody in the band you know in any any of these bands but like I guess the reason I, I liked it when I was in my 20s, I believed in it, and I like when it would get played at a bar, I would go out on the dance floor and jump around like an idiot to that song. Wow. Just like I buy share albums because I want Armenian performers to do well. You don't. What? You don't buy share albums. I, I am going to see her on like her show on Broadway. No. It's not her. Well, she's what? not in it. There's a share musical on Broadway now. Really? Yeah, and my friend and, went and to see it. And you're interested in seeing this? Yes, my friend went nice. to see it, and he said it was really good, and I even asked him, I'm like, do they even mention her Armenian heritage in it? And he said yes. I'm like, sold, I'm going to see it. <laughs> it's important, and I do a bit, so like, if I may plug... Uh, my... I mean, you know what? Kudos to you <laughs> for having no shame for being a Cher fan and going to the fucking show, Well, not, only... not being a gay male. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yes, uh, I'll be a rarity, I think. But not so. It's, and it's not just a ethnic, unicorn. It's not just the ethnic identity. Like when I was a kid, the variety shows on this in the '70s on TV were like that's. Those were the few things I could watch, like the Donnie and Marie show, right. Carol Burnett. So Sonny and Cher. Oh, I had, loved Carol yeah, Burnett. Yeah, so like Sonny and Cher were in that vein. Holy they shit. had the comedy sketches, and so like, and when I found out she was Armenian, so like to me it was like, oh, it's cool. Like, were they actually funny though? I don't know. They probably were funny for the seventies. You know, like, yeah. um, like Carol Burnett show was. Actually that, no, that was legit funny. Like Tim, was... Tim Conway, Carol Burnett. Oh my god. Vicky Lawrence. They're legit. Fucking Harvey Corman. Yeah. And their various guest stars. Was it always the one like there was yeah the one good looking guy? Steve Lawrence was always on there. <laughs> uh. I have a new live album coming out. It's pre sales are available now. It comes out January twenty second. Uh, but I do mention even that I have a bit about uh, how proud my dad was to see Armenian names in the media. Like it was it was like that thing in my big fat Greek <laughs> wedding. Like anytime my dad would see an Armenian name, like he could spot an Armenian name in the credits of a TV show that was being played across the room. Like he was <laughs> it was it was this preternatural ah, skill right, that he had. Right, right. And so like I do a joke about how excited we were when we found out that the movie Empire Strikes Back was gonna have a character named Lando Calrissian in it. Right. <laughs> he talks about Colt forty five. And so like, you know, you, we go we see And then the you found out that he endorsed Colt 45. Well, you know, it's even cooler because Lando Calrissian comes on screen and he's played by Billy D. Williams, an African-American actor, and I'm like, holy crap, Armenians are way cooler than I ever thought we were. We drink more liquor. Yeah, we wear capes. We were in black exploitation movies. And the only thing I did, like, the only the only downside was that, you know, he had a perm, but, like, my joke is that it was a long time ago in a galaxy far away. That's right. Perms were popular back then. Back in, yeah. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> um, we're gonna wrap it up yeah. with. Uh, we got a couple of choices. Um, I think I want to do. Oh yeah, the palate cleanser choice, right? That this was... is the palate cleanser. Yeah. I've tortured you long enough. <laughs> you need. We need. We both need to end on something good. Yeah. You know. So here we are. We're going to uh, go with, uh, what the fuck is it called? Do you have Quiet Village? Yeah, Quiet Village by... Yeah. Uh, I think it's Martin Denny is the name. And I found this, I read a book, and it was all about music and background music. And that's how I found out about this artist. But um, he was a orchestra leader, and he had a he had a band and I think they played at the like a famous hotel in um, in Honolulu and they just started doing sort of like ambient mood music and I think it was like the 50s when he was doing it and they're just like we're just gonna do instrumental ambient music for I don't know and I started listening to a bunch of his stuff and I guess it was big in the 50s but it's like it's really it mellows me out but it's it's not Dismissible, like it's it's well done arrangements. It's good musicianship, but it's just no. It it commanded my attention cool. last night. Yeah, because here you could hear like the environmental stuff, like like what the fuck. Yeah, you got like the tree frog sounds and you know it's like clearing out all the cobwebs. Yeah, all the nonsense that we heard. Yeah, this this is a good one to break you of C, <laughs> as Captain Beefheart put it. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's not it's not just like white noise to calm you out. It's like there's actual music going on. Oh yeah. You know, but it's and it's deceptively deep. Yeah. It sounds simple, but it's not. But a similarity with some some of the Mancini stuff we were talking about earlier too, yeah. Totally. Which, uh, for those of you out there that weren't privy to the conversation, we are both unapologetic Mancini fans. Absolutely. Should we hear some Mancini after this? I wouldn't mind. I love me some Mancini, and it's like I was telling Matt earlier. It's like it's completely unironic. I love. Oh no! It's amazing. his melody and his arrangement. It's amazing. I actually have a book that was like it's sort of like <laughs> yeah all this environmental this? stuff yeah and this is from like the 50s like so this is not like art of noise like no this is no and that's like one of those wood blocks with the ridges on it mm-hmm mm-hmm cajon no that's just yeah, doesn't that? That's just like a good vibe. Like you put that on, and so you're just good. like, you know what? I'm relaxed now. So good. All right, all right. Speaking of Mancini. But yeah, so back when uh, I was trying to like get better at arranging horns and stuff, um, there was I found a book at so there was Colony Music, which was. Good to see you tonight. You're looking good. Hit it. (laughs) No one cares. That's right. About you. Or anything that you care about. (laughs) You suck. Well, this was fun, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks for bringing in all these terrible songs (laughs) and torturing my brain with them. They'll be stuck in my head for the next week. Thanks, buddy. Cool, man. See you soon. Well, there you have it, folks. Episode 7. I'd like to thank my guest, Mr. Rob Paravonian, for his contribution of comedic cowbell to the theme song. Thanks, Rob. Rob hosts the Odd Rock Comedy Hour on the third Saturday of every month at QED Astoria. For more information on Rob's behavior, check out robprocks.com. And remember, kids, for as long as there's been music, most of it's been terrible. Does somebody want to answer that fucking phone? Jesus!